Yeah, good morning. Um, that's so fantastic being with you guys this morning. I know driving all the way, um, we drove all the way. It took us about four hours. No, we didn't. It took us 45 minutes from Wellington. There was no traffic this morning. And uh, it's a real delight to be with you all in Greenpoint. I know we've been wanting to come out here for a long time. Uh, so just to introduce myself again, I'm Mike and uh, my wife, Aidy. We've got three kids, been married in 24 years. Um, and yeah, man, well, I don't know if you can applaud or... <laughs> Thanks. Oh, you can stick it on the floor. Thanks. Uh, yeah, and we've been part of Josh Chen pretty much from about three months after the church plant, 1999. And yeah, I was a school teacher. as my background. I was a high school teacher. And uh, we we're about 30 years old. We went into full-time ministry. In other words, we were paid by the church. What that means is we actually planted a church in the Southern Cape. We were 30 when we felt the Lord lead us to a place called Oatsorn. And we planted a, an autonomous church out of Josh Jen in 2004. It was a very first church plant, but it wasn't called Josh Jen or part of Josh Jen. We were part of a group called NCMI, and we planted into Oatsorn. And uh, pff, it was, you know, the grace of God is Afrikaans town. I'm, I have a French background. I'm from the Seychelles originally. Uh, my wife's Zimbabwean, so we like we don't speak Afrikaans. <laughs> Maybe for self-defense. And um, and yeah, and the Lord was gracious. We saw the church grow and people added and salvations and people being discipled in the Lord. And then we felt the Lord lead us back to Cape Town. And then in 2010, we moved to Edgemead, uh, soggy suburbia. And we were based in Edgemead where we took over from Wilma Rare and we transitioned that church into Josh Jen. Um, and so we were in Edgemead for about six years. Uh, then we moved to Wellington, where we got involved in a, a discipleship school that we run in Josh Jane called TMT. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, Liam that's come out of that, uh, and many others um, that are part of us just that have come through that discipleship school in different ways. Um, and we've been involved in leading the congregation, but we've handed that over now. Uh, and we're pretty much just like roaming. That's our job. We're roamers. What do you do? We roam, you know? We move around. So I'm off to Brazil. Uh, in uh, July for about 10 days to minister there. We just come from Johannesburg with Ryan Kingsley. We, uh, we were with Ryan and ordaining elders, and, and Ross Gillespie sends his love. We, we had lunch with Ross Gillespie. I mean, you'll know Ross, right? He's part of this. And so Ross and Lee, were, we had lunch with them on Sunday with uh, some of their leaders, and he looked so happy. He was like, he's like, I'm loving but he did say he was missing many, all of you as well, so I better say that. So I'll get into trouble if I don't. In fact, I think he was weeping out of like, I miss three points so much, <laughs> you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so what a delightful couple. So we have been, been traveling around, been all over, and, uh, and it's been great, quite cool to see the different parts of Just Jen. Uh, you know, for those of you that are new in Just Jen, the best way I can explain Just Jen is Just Jen is a bit like we're not... You know, if you look at a traditional, maybe traditional family where you've got a mom and a dad and uh, two kids, you know, what's the average, 2.1 or something, or 1.8, and, and that's a typical, almost just a nuclear family, and in our society, we're made up of, of safe little families, but any of you come from, like, maybe a Portuguese or French background, or you've got, like, a million cousins, and, uh, you know, you've got... 15 brothers and sisters, and it's just crazy. This, or Italian, you know, um, you know, we come from. And Josh Jen is a bit like that. We're like this crazy Italian family. We've got like Uncle, Uncle Mike, he's coming to visit, you know, all the way from Wellington. And, you know, and then there's uh, Brother Luigi and uh, Gerald at the back, you know, and it's like, who are these people? And I know when we came to Edgemead um, congregation, is they were very used to doing things in a certain way. They were a local church based in a suburb. And suddenly they became part of the Josh Jen family, and it became this, all these people came in to visit and become part of the congregation, and they were like, who are you all? And it just felt like this big, crazy Italian family that was just, you know, taken over. Um, but yeah, and it's been wonderful to go around to see actually what God is doing in many different places. And it's a bit like members, uh, children in your family, each child is quite different, has a different personality and different temperament, and Josh Jen's a bit like that. Um, we're all different. But what I want to do with you this morning, or, or, or I'd like us to unpack a piece of Scripture, and it's in Ephesians chapter 2. And I really want to just take a few verses and spend some time unpacking 
a couple of verses with you in a very simple way. And what I, I felt to share with you this morning is to share with you around the wonder of the church. And so while we're here, obviously, to look at Jesus, and we're here because we want to get to know God better, in getting to know God better, the key to getting to know the Lord better is being part of a kind of church that would reflect Him and show Him to ourselves and to the world. And now when I say the word church, that little word, we all have different experiences of that word church. Some of you have a very positive experience. Some of you might have a very negative experience or a mixed experience of this word church. But actually, if you are a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, you're on a journey following him, then we find that actually you cannot be a follower of Jesus and somehow not have some relationship with his people. And in fact, the way that we get to see God and get to know the nature and the character of God, it's not divorced from his people. In fact, church, uh, and I grew up like this, I grew up in a very traditional church background, I grew up in a, in a Catholic church, um, and in the Catholic background, for me, church was a place. I went to church, you know, that's where I went to, that's where I, I, I went to see the priest and took Holy Communion, and I was a good little Catholic boy, um, not really. But actually, if we look at the New Testament, and as we're going to look at the Scripture in Ephesians 2, and from verse, um, where are we? From verse 19, we're going to read from verse 19. We see that church is not a place, church is a people. It's a people who gather together in the name of Jesus. And you know, just that if I have to ask you the question today, what makes a Christian? What is it that defines you if you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a disciple? What does that mean? And fundamentally for me, a Christian is someone who is, is crazy about Jesus. It's like you, Jesus is everything. Jesus defines you. His, who, what he says about you defines your very life. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He's the one that you put your trust in. Is, is, you know, someone once said, a Christian is someone who's bananas for Jesus, the old musician Keith Green. It's like you just, Jesus, is, if, you, if they cut you, you know, it's like, it's Jesus. It's like, man, I serve him. I love him. He's my lover of my soul. He's the captain of my, of my house. He's, he's everything. But in the same way, a church, a Christian church, what defines a Christian church? A Christian church is a church where Jesus is the head, and he's leading, and he's guiding in those things. And so and then we get to know him better. And in this portion of scripture in Ephesians 2 verse 19, and what I want to do is just, just read the, the portion of scripture. <clears throat> and it says this, so then, from Ephesians 2 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and, the, and members of the household of God. And I just want to stop there. And the context, if you read Ephesians 2, is the context of this is dealing with this miracle that has taken place. And the miracle that has taken place is you've got two groups of people that were in animosity uh, towards one another. You had the Jews and you have the Gentiles, two groups that could never ever, because of various, you know, just backgrounds and, and theologies and the way that they saw one another, they could never ever fellowship together. Now suddenly, you've got two groups, Jews and Gentiles, that have gotten saved and are, are joining together in the church. And someone once said this, that the church is a sociological miracle. It's a sociological miracle. It's like church cannot happen where you've got people that are so different if it were not for Jesus, if it were not for work of the Spirit. I mean, you just look around this room today, and you just look at one another. Like, you would not be friends with one another, or some of you would, if it were not for Jesus, right? And I mean, we look at one another. We, we come from such different backgrounds, different cultures, where we are based in Wellington, um, Wellington is a very culturally diverse congregation, Edgemead, um, and Edgemead was like that as well. It was, we, had, we had the wealthy Afrikaans farmer, you have the poor uh, folk from the township, you've got people in between, you've got different educational backgrounds, but yet they come together 
and actually learn to be friends. It is a sociological miracle. And that's why earlier on in Ephesians chapter 2, it actually speaks about that these two groups of people, I mean, some of you, for example, love rugby. God, God forbid. <laughs> some of you love football. Some of you listen to indie music. Some of you listen to, like, Buru Okes. And yet we're together. And we love one another, and we're a family. And so in the early church, you had this, but obviously the differences were far, there was animosity and hatred. And, and it says earlier in Ephesians 2, and I'm just giving you a preamble as we get to the, the portion I want to share on, is in Ephesians 2, it mentions this, that, that God has taken groups of people, these two groups, and He has made one new man. In other words, God has made a new nation under Christ. And so as you come in Jesus, under Jesus, to Jesus, he says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to change your identity where you are no longer English, me, Seishawa, French, no longer Zimbabwean, you are no longer Congolese or where you're from. Your identity is a child of God. And it enables us to be together and learn how to love one another, which is the greatest testimony in the world. And so there's this thing of this miracle that takes place. And so Paul writes in the context of this, and he says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're not separated from one another. In Jesus, you are now saints and members of the household of God. And he uses the metaphor of a household or a family, right? He uses that metaphor. But then what he does is he changes metaphors, and he changes it, and he uses the example of a building. And that's what I want to do this morning is in talking about the church I want to look at three aspects of how the church is described as a building and just what it means for you and I today. And so he mentions this. Let's carry on. It says, built, this church, this house, household, is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so here are the three things that I want to give to you is that this building um, that you and I are part of, this family, it has a foundation, it has material, building materials, like you'd build a house, and it has an owner. And I'm going to look at just briefly those three things and pick out some things for us as we look at the wonder of what we are part of. Number one, the foundation. And in verse 20, it says that the, the household of God, the church, is built on the foundation, and it mentions this group of people, the apostles and the prophets, and I'm, unfortunately, I'm, for time's sake, I'm not going to go through all of it, the apostles and prophets, but we would be part, what we call part of an apostolic household. We won't get into that, but we also believe that the church is built upon the foundation of the 12 apostles, which means they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' teaching. So when the Bible says that they devoted themselves in Acts chapter 2 to the apostles' teaching, what it really means is they devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus. And today, where do we find that? We find that in the New Testament. So when we read the New Testament, when we build our lives upon what is written and, and said in the New Testament, we are, in a sense, building upon the apostles and the prophets. It's more than that because we believe the gifts are for today, but that's kind of the essence of what it's, it's partly saying. And then it carries on and says, and Jesus Christ, who's the chief, or Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Now, when we see buildings today, not many of you maybe are involved in construction. I don't know if any of you here are builders or, you know, you work in construction, or any of you have seen a house being built. But with a modern house or with a modern building that's being built, what happens is they build a foundation, and generally in modern terms, they put concrete down in the foundation. But in the ancient world, they didn't build like that. What they did is they build a foundation, and they had rocks and stones that they put into the foundation. Then they built upon that with the, the, the stones and the bricks. And these stones were made up, you know, lots of different kinds of shapes of stones, but the biggest stone was what they called the cornerstone. And the cornerstone was put in a very strategic part of the foundation, and all the other stones lined up with that large cornerstone. And in many ways, the building lent and rested upon the cornerstone. It, it was built in a way that it was engineering-wise, it was very, very important, that cornerstone. And what he's saying here is, he's saying here that the, the church, 
and you and I, our lives are leaning upon Jesus, that if you take Jesus out, you will fall apart, and the church will fall apart. You know, and I'll give you an example, firstly, for the church, because sometimes today, in being part of a local church, churches today lean and depend upon a lot of things. You know, we depend upon good coffee. Like, man, if we've got good coffee, the church will grow. Or if we've got, like, the best worship team in the world and we're going to hire musicians, the church is going to grow. Or we've got all the, the lights and the great building, the church is going to grow. And what happens in, in our modern culture, we've been taught to somehow believe that we need those things to have a healthy church. Friends, it says that what the cornerstone is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And when we have Him in common, somehow, if we all build on Him, you know, you can be meeting under the tree, in the Hellenic Hall, where the sound's not great, and it's like you've got challenges. Sorry to say, this is not a great venue. But you've got Jesus, all right? It's like, praise God, we've got Jesus, you know? We, we don't have any, but we've got Jesus. <laughs> and maybe you've got some good musos and some coffee along the way. And, you know, I heard the story, I don't know if any of you know the song by Matt Redman. It's the old song, When the Music Fades, uh, coming back to the heart of worship. And, you know, they were going through a stage in their church, in their local church, it was part of a church in Watford called Soul Survivor, which they turned into a conference. And uh, they were going through a stage where their church had many, many skillful musicians that were part of it. They were, um, they'd built their church, in a sense, around the worship and around the musos. And the pastor at that point, Mike Pilavachi, as they journeyed and as they, he began to be convicted in the Holy Spirit that they were building and depending on the wrong thing and not on Jesus himself. And so what he did is they would have some of the best musicians in the country part of their church, including Matt Redman. Um, and what they did is they actually, he said, for a season, we are going to... Okay, sorry, sorry. For a season, we are going to cut out all the worship and we are not going to have any musicians on stage. In fact, what we are going to do is we are going to only have one person with a microphone, and we're going to sing a cappella for as long as it takes. And as they did these things, as they did this, the church, it was very uncomfortable. I mean, people said that it was awkward, you know, just they didn't have musos. And over a period of weeks, they began to, as things were stripped away, they began to realize, like, we begin to worship worship. We've begun to worship our feelings. We begin to worship the, the, the skillfulness of musicians rather than actually learning how to find the presence of God as we should do. And out of that time, Matt Redman wrote that song, and he wrote the words go something like this, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that would bless your heart. And then, then the chorus is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And you know, it might be that even for you as a church, there would be things that you depend upon that are not Jesus. I know even for us individually, it's like, um, you know, churches, as churches depend on things, individually, what are you depending or leaning upon to build your life? What does it look like for you personally? And there's a scripture in 1 Peter 2 verse 6, and it says this, For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. So it uses the same language, that this Jesus is the cornerstone. And it says this, that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Don't you love that? It's this idea that actually for you personally, you've got to believe upon him. And the promise is, if you trust in him, you will not be put to shame. And interesting enough is, you know, this belief or this depending upon Jesus is not like a mental depending upon Jesus or just saying, okay, intellectually, I, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to depend upon you. But what it means, a Christian belief is a wholehearted belief, a giving yourself over to God from the heart. And, um, and you find that even the demons believe, you know. You know, the devil is not an atheist. Uh, the devil is not, um, he believes in God. You know, the demons believe in God, but their belief is not a belief, a saving faith. And so we are called to have the kind of faith that is so deep, it's so real, 
that I say, I'm not going to just confess with my mouth, but I'm going to believe with my heart in such a way that I'm building my life on Jesus. And so when the Bible speaks about things that it's asking me to do, uh, Lord, I'm going to do it. Not because it feels comfortable or feels right, but it's because it's true and it's what your word says. Lord, I'm going to build my life upon what Jesus says and what Scripture commands. And, you know, we can have all the best intentions in the world. We can have the confession of our mouth. But if it's not faith that's rooted in a reality where it's working itself out, then actually you're not following Jesus. You're just going for a walk. You know, you, you're not depending upon him. And this kind of depending upon him is a, is a radical thing. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a parable in the New Testament where Jesus speaks about two men that are building uh, homes. And it says that they both build homes. The one builds on the rock and the one builds on the sand. And the interesting thing with this parable is that with these two men that are building their homes, it says that the storm came to both of them. And from the outside, it looked like everything was fine on the outside, but only when the storm came did it test the quality of how they built. And I think like in the worship this morning is we don't always realize how our lives are built or what we are depending upon until the storm comes, until the test comes, until adversity comes. You know, and when we sign up, in a sense, to follow Jesus and to commit our lives to following Him, you know, sometimes we have a very naive, idealistic view of what it means to follow Jesus. I, know, I did, anyway. Maybe, I'm sure you're not like that. I was like, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. This is going to be wonderful, you know. My life is going to be like, you know, I'm going to go change the nations. Oh, you know, I'm going to go on adventures for God. And I did, and we have. But I didn't realize that God promises not only the, the gift of prosperity, because He is for us, and He blesses us, but that God promises the gift of adversity, and that the way He will show where you have built and how you have built is when the storm comes. And so, if you get shaken, and when you get shaken, these things become very real, who are you depending upon? Um, and I went through a story. I went through an, uh, a thing. I was about 29 years old, and um, this is an example in my own life. It just as I had to wrestle with some stuff. I know some of you might have lost, like a brother or sister or mama or dad. Or I know we, we had lunch with a lady yesterday that she'd been married for 43 years, and last year her husband died suddenly, and she's like, like I, I, she's served the Lord faithfully, but it's like her world has been rocked. And suddenly, it's like, who am I building my life upon? Have I built it upon my husband? Am I building it upon the Lord? What does that look like? And for me, when we were, I was 29, I had a back operation. Um, I had a sports injury, and they actually ended up putting titanium pins in my back. And when, we, when I was 29, we were already on eldership then in Josh Jen. We, um, I think we had come on when we were 26. Church was really desperate. Um, <laughs> So I think we were 26, 27 when he came into eldership. And I thought that I, you know, I'd been tested. You know, I knew the Lord. Uh, I didn't doubt him in, in, in ways that I had before. It was like, you know, I love the Lord. I serve him. And when I was 29, I had this, as I mentioned, this back injury. And I had people to come to pray for me. And they said to me, Mike, you're an elder. You have to be healed. Because if you're not healed, like, what is it for the rest of us? You know, where's your faith? And I had all this pressure on me of like, Lord, you know, like, why aren't I healed? And through that process, I didn't get healed in the way that in divine healing or supernatural healing, God healed me through a different way. And he put me on my back for three months where I was lying flat on my back, processing and, and wrestling with God. I felt like everything I believed in and what I trusted for, even with healing, had been shaken. And in that process... Um, you know, as I went through a recovery process, as I went through the operation and it came through on the other side, I, God, God gave me the gift of adversity. And if I look back on my life, one of the most defining moments of my life was that period when I was in, on my back for three months. It was through the, the valley of the shadow of death that I got to know the shepherd. And somehow in the wisdom of God, God chooses to, 
for us to see him and to get to know him in the darkest places and the darkest times. And I remember lying at one point in the hospital bed, and I was like, where are you, God? Like, you have forsaken me. I feel like, you know, I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't have him near. And in those times, I remember having to just hold on to him, fight for him, say, Lord, I'm building my life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Lord, if you never choose to bless me, I will serve you. If you never choose to give me what I think I need, I will serve you, Lord. You know, and, and that's the kind of decision I think that God would want us to make is, is that our faith is so grounded, so rooted in Jesus that almost he would say, but if I just give you myself, you know, is that enough? If I never give you what you want, would you accept that? Would you, would you say, okay, Lord, you know, now God is a good father. You know, God is, fortunately, God is enthusiastic about us in Jesus. But sometimes he'll test us like that. And don't be surprised when he does. Who, what are we building on? And how are we building our life on Jesus? And so something that I do personally every day, not every day, but a lot of the days, is I look, at, I look in the mirror and I have to remind myself of who I am in him. That I've got to say, today, I'm going to build my life on Jesus. And I remind myself, Mike, you are someone that is called to follow him. I'm not building upon what I what I've said or, you know, some of you upon your career or upon you in your, in your whatever role you're in or your studies, I'm building my life on Jesus. Lord, it's what you say about me that defines me. And I actually have to preach to myself. I don't listen to myself. Listening to ourselves is a bad idea. I have to preach truth to myself and remind myself of who we are in him. So that's number one is the foundation. And we build upon a foundation, the church in us. Number two Number two speaks about that this household um, has materials. And I love this in verse 21 and 22. It says, In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And amazingly here, I love what it says, it says, you are being built together. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 2.5, it says, you yourselves are like living stones are being built together to be part of a spiritual house. And so in, in one sense, what are the materials that make up the house of God? Is that we are, you are, you're the stone, you're the living stone. And it's interesting the word that he uses here, he says, um, especially here in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, he says, you're living stones. You're a living stone. In other words, you must be born again to be part of the household of God. You can't just have visited, and I know that maybe for 99.9% .9 of you, you know this, but as an important thing, that to be part of the church, you must be born again. You must be a living stone. You can't say, well, I was a bad person. You know, sometimes some people say, well, I was bad, and I'm better, 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 good. Now, because I'm a good person, now, you know, God accepts me. But what is the gospel, friends? The gospel is dead, alive. I'm alive. And because I'm alive, I'm a living stone. And when I'm born again, God adds me into a local family, adds me into his church, and we fit together as different parts, rubbing each other up. And this thing with being built together, I love what it says in Ephesians 2. It says this. It says that we are being built together, and here's the thing in verse 21, being joined together is the phrase here that gets used. Look what it says, being joined together. I know the, new, the 1 Peter 2.5 says, being built up. What is significant about that phrase, being built together? It means that right now, we are not the finished article, that we are under construction. So every time you come into a, a family, a local family, a new part of Greenpoint Congregation, most of you or some visiting, you are under construction. That means when you look at the church, it's imperfect. You know, um, Eugene Peterson, author, once said that the church is one part mystery and one part mess. It's, it's, it's imperfect. And so you've got all these living stones, and we love, we, as we learn to love one another, we're going to rub each other up, up the wrong way. We're going we're to disappoint one another. We're going to offend one another. We're going to be in conflict with one another. And that is normal church life. It's interesting, if you read the New Testament, one of the things you see with each of the epistles, the letters, the epistles aren't the wives of the apostles, they are the, um, 
the letters are the, the you know, written by the apostles, the various men that were eyewitnesses with Jesus, so served him as apostles. And these epistles, they're written, each and every one of them, in response to conflict in the local church. There has always been conflict and misunderstanding in the local church. And so at some point, you will be offended by someone or will have to forgive someone, including one of your leaders. At some point, you are going to be so upset that you'll want to leave the church because you think, oh, how can that church do that? I thought they were believers and Christians. I can't believe the way that they acted. Ah! And you kind of will you know, feel like you'll want to, and if you have not had that already. Or you'll have that one person in your home group, in your community, like, Lord, you know, help me to love everyone. You know, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Praise God. And you've got that one person. There's always that one person that just like you don't get along with. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. You're like, what? <laughs> we love everyone, man. We Greenpoint. We just like. <laughs> and friends, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says we are called to bear up with one another. We bear one with one another in love, Ephesians says later on. It says forgiving one another, being tender-hearted, being kind towards one another one another. Why does it say that? It says it because the implication is you're going to rub each other up the wrong way. And somehow in the wisdom of God, God's means of sanctification to grow you in your faith is to put a living stone next to you that has got sharp edges that is going to rub you up and sharpen you. And as you do that, and as you learn to like, I'm going to love that person, I'm going to choose to forgive them, I'm going to learn how to, how to understand them, I'm going to learn how to, how to get along with them. As we do that, somehow we are being built together, and as we do that, God makes his home among us. It's not just when we worship together and when we pray together. It's not just when we have worship evenings, as much as we need those times but somehow it's in relationship when there's a misunderstanding that God chooses to build us together, we are being built together. And it's something I've realized, you know, um, I think I've been a Christian now, it's been about 35, 34, 35 years, I've been a, I've been a follower of the Lord. And um, I remember, the, it's weird, it's like the longer I've been saved, the more I realize that I'm imperfect. Um... It's like the closer I am towards the light, and I think I have grown, I'm, I'm a lot closer to the Lord now than I was when I was a new Christian in terms of I feel like I understand Him a lot better. I feel like I know, even though His ways are not our ways, I'm not saying I know the Lord perfectly, but it's like I'm closer to Him, I understand Him, I've wrestled with Scripture. It's like I think my foundations are good and strong. I, in many ways, I've worked through a lot of character issues, and, and I know Him. I, like, I know more of His ways than I used to. But even as I've come closer to the light, it's as if that light is showing areas of my own brokenness that I realize I never had. And it's always thought like, you know, I'm saved now. I'm a, I've got something to give. And it's like the longer I'm walking with the Lord, it's like I'm more aware of areas that I'm in need of grace. That I, I, and Paul says this. Paul says towards the end of his ministry, I think he says it in Philippians. No, no, he says it in, I think, in, sorry, beginning of 1 Timothy. He says this, I am the chief of sinners. Not I was, I am. And he says, oh, but by the grace that has overflowed towards me. And somehow when we are aware of our own brokenness, when we are aware of, of the parts that we need healing in, we need maturity and we need to grow in, somehow we, sh we extend grace to other people. Because when someone's difficult towards me, it's like, oh, Lord, you know, I know, I'm a, Lord, I've got to grow. And so I need to extend that grace towards others. And somehow this church is one pot mystery, one pot mess. We are being built together to be this glorious household of God. You know, when we do that, friends, and, and, and people look at you, what do they see? They see the gospel lived out. If people want to see Jesus, they see it lived out in the way that we learn to engage and, and, and counteract with one another and learn how to walk with one another in the Lord. We are being built together. Um, we are under construction, just as you and I are. 
number two. So let's, that was number two, these, the living stones as we are. Let's look at the third one. And the third one deals with, so we, this building has a foundation, it has living stones, and the third part about this building that makes it up, that makes the wonder of the church so unique, is that it has an owner. And look what it says, let's finish off in Ephesians 2 at the end there, verse 20, 22, it says, um, in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And it says here that you are being made into a dwelling, a home for God. Why does the church exist? For God, by the Spirit. It's for Him. And so He's the owner, not, you know, well, who leads Joshua generation? Greenpoint, oh, Neil and the elders. No, Jesus is the owner. God is the owner of what we do together in Him. Um, you know, I was in London a number of years ago. I was um, up for, to the Isle of Man, and I was ministering in different places. And, um, and then we went as a family. We did one of these open bus tours through London. And it was so cool because I didn't know London very well, and so we got to see all the iconic sites. But the one site that I really wanted to see, but I didn't actually get to the front of it, I got to see the back of it, was Buckingham Palace. And, um, and Buckingham Palace is something I was desperate to see because people go from all over the world, often they go to London, and, and it's the one site they don't want to miss is Buckingham Palace. It's iconic. It's something that is, um, it kind of marks out what London is all about, what the United Kingdom is all about. Why? What makes, what makes Buckingham Palace so, so, such a tourist attraction? And you've got tourists coming all over. Yes, it's beautiful architecture. You've got the changing of the guard. Have any of you seen that, by the way? Okay, I haven't, but it's like, I saw the backside of it, like I said, you know. I was like, it was disappointing. But if you've seen, you see the changing of the guard, you know, it's like you've seen that on TV, and now you, you see these beef eaters and various guys, you're, and, and you, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm there, I'm here, and you see the Golden Gates, and you see this massive, that's where, you know, Prince Charles kissed Diana, you know, and everyone got to saw at the wedding. Okay, that was years ago. <laughs> some, some of you are like, what? Who's Diana? <laughs> but what makes Buckingham Palace iconic? The one thing that makes it iconic that makes it unique is not because of just the architecture and changing the God, but it's this one thing. The queen lives there. The queen lives there. And isn't it a delight that if you've ever had a chance to visit or a, a tourist and they get to see the queen, let's say she comes out one morning, you know, opens the windows, probably doesn't work like that, you know, <gasps> to drink your tea, you know, holding a little corgi, you know, you know, hold, drinking her tea, and then she opens the window, and there's crowds, oh, good morning, you know, good morning, England, you know. If you were a tourist, I'll tell you what, and you saw the queen, you would tell your grandchildren about that. And your grandchildren would say, my mom, my dad met the queen of England or saw the queen of England. Actually, Adam Hellier's parents um, they get invited, they were part of a charity organization, and Adam is one of the elders in Josh Jen. They got invited to a charity event in the gardens of Buckingham Palace. And they met the queen, they shook hands with the queen of England. Let me say that, I mean, Adam told me, like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> After I, I, I'd shared this kind of thing with him. How much more is that we have the owner of the church who's among us, dwelling among us. And what makes the church so iconic and is why the nations will be drawn to her is because God is in her midst. It's because God is here. And when God is here, it's like, ah, oh, this is the most beautiful thing in the world. And what makes the church wonderful and why we have the privilege to be part of her is because God promises to dwell among us. And when we gather, even if we don't feel it sometimes, even if the presence of the Lord is not always that tangible, by faith we know that God is in our midst. How do we get to know God? By being with His people. 
by being with these people. You will not get to know God on your own. You will to part, but you will not get, get to know the fullness of what the Lord has for you if you're not with others who reveal to you the nature and the character of God. That is the way you're going to see God. That's the way you're going to learn how to pray to Him, by being with others, and you model that, and we see that. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that in church life where you've like got to know something of the beauty of the Lord or the character of God through someone that you spend time with? It's like, I can see Jesus in you. And how much more when we've got someone who's not a believer, who comes into our midst, how are they going to see the one, the owner of the church? Through you, through me. When they come into our home and they sit around our table and we share our lives with them, they're going to say, but there's something different about you. What is it? It's like, you're not like any, you know, you're not like a normal, what is it about you? It's like you got the mark of the king. You're branded. You, you've got the seal of the spirit and what makes it belong to him. And so I just want to encourage you with that this morning is that let's not forget the wonder of the church. Um, what is the church? The church is a household. It's one new man. We are being built together. What is your identity today? If I have to ask you, who are you? What identifies you? You're a Christian before you anything else. It trumps anything else, any culture, any language, any style, any... You're a Christian. Then beyond that is this church has a foundation, and we lean on Jesus. This church has materials, you and I, that are built as living stones, working itself out under construction until Jesus returns. And lastly, we are a people that have an owner that's God himself, and he dwells among us, living within us, and we get to know him through it. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close. And Yeah, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, this morning we want to say we love you, Lord. We, we want to fix our eyes upon you. And we we thank you somehow in the wisdom of God that you've designed, Lord, that we're not just in relationship with you on our own, vertically, but that you've put us part of a family. And Lord, we acknowledge today that sometimes this is a bit of a crazy family. This is a family that has issues. (laughs) Lord, that we're growing in you, that we are under construction, that we are on a journey of salvation, working out our faith. Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning that, that in the church, that your, your way is to work through the church. And we in our hearts this morning want to say yes, Lord, to that purpose. Lord, even as, um, I think it was um, uh, Lalani, is it Lalani, the, um, who is going to, uh, Lord, just that story of how she's ordering her holiday around the, the people of God. What an amazing testimony. And Father, even for Lalani, is just this kind of picture for us, this prophetic picture Lord, would you help us to order our lives around what's important to you? Lord, that you said in your word in Matthew 16, I am building my church. Lord, that you're not building um, NGOs while you use those things. You're not building businesses. You're not building governments. Lord, you're building your church. And Father, we want to choose this morning to say, yes, Lord, we want to, get us, we want to give ourselves into the people of God and into you afresh. And, oh, Lord, we want to build our lives upon you. I just want to pray for a couple of groups of people this morning, and I want, to, I want to just be faithful to this, that if you're here this morning, and you know that the Lord might be drawing you or knocking on your heart in a sense, that you, you know that you're not right with God. Um, possibly you're here, and, and, and you know that, like, man, I, I need Christ. I I want to be part of this family. The Bible says that actually if you want to be part, you have to be alive. You've got to be born again. And in order to do that, the Bible says that you've got to turn away from your old life and give your life over to Jesus Christ. And is there anyone this morning that wants to surrender their lives to come to the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Uh, Maybe you've been holding on. You know, there's a story of Augustine, and it speaks about how he was struggling to really surrender his life to Christ. And he said this. He made this famous prayer, Lord, save me but not yet. And then he said, Lord, save me, except for this one sin. He wasn't willing to let go of his life. And at some point he said this, Lord, save me and save me now.
Is there anyone here that's saying, like, save me, save me now? Anyone like that? Just where you are, raise your hand. I don't want to, I'm not going to, you know, we, we work it out in the family, but is there anyone here that wants to respond? You know you're not right with God. We can pray for you. <clears throat> come on. Okay. Then for the rest of us, come, let's stand for the rest of us, and we're going we're gonna to respond. And... Um, Um, yeah, I just felt this morning one of the areas that like, the Lord wanted to touch on this morning is that, in a, in a sense, almost like, you know, like we've been married, my wife and I have been married for a long time. But, you know, it's almost like every now and again, it's in a sense we make this fresh, in my, my, my heart, I make like a fresh resolve in my heart. Oh, Lord, I'm going to love my wife. Lord, I, and I realize sometimes I drift I, I become sloppy. I become a bit of a sloppy husband. Um, I, I become a bit neglectful. And, uh, and I lose the wonder of marriage, actually. I forget how glorious this institution of marriage is. And, you know, being part of a, of a family of God is similar to that, where sometimes we forget that. And I felt like this morning the Lord just wanted to say to us, will we just give ourselves afresh? Will we just give ourselves in? Say, Lord, I want to be in this, boots and all. And that if, if there is in you any sense of reserve or any sense of like, but I, I'm not sure, like I'm not sure if I can really trust the Lord in this or I don't know how it works, I, I need help. Maybe before, you've maybe been hurt in a church before. Maybe you come from a situation where you, you had given yourself and you've been, maybe you've been hurt by leaders or someone that's actually taken advantage of you in some ways. In some ways, you might be here, and you might be a bit of a burnt stone. You're a living stone, but you're burnt. And I felt like, you know, God wants to restore you. He wants to restore in you the wonder of, of His people and what He works through the, you. He wants to help you, make you fall in love with the family of God as you fall in love with Him again. Somehow they go together, right? They, they don't, they're, they're not separate. And... Um, I'd like to pray for us all. I'd, I'd love us all to respond, that wherever you are, just say, Lord, I want to, whatever that looks like for you, just, just to respond to the Lord right now. So this is where you are. Just close your eyes. Just, um, if you need to respond, just to respond to the Lord right now and say, Lord, would you come? Would you come and help me to see these things as right and true? Lord, and if you feel like you even need to repent to the Lord this morning, where you've been reserved and you've held back, and you need to, maybe you've even been sloppy in your relationships and you haven't, it's like you've drifted in, in the family of God. And God would want you this morning to say, my son and my daughter, would you just come and give yourself afresh as that living stone? Allow me to build you in, in a way that's going to be beautiful in my house. Would you allow yourself as a, as a stone to let the builder, let the owner take you and do with you as he sees fit? Even if it might be uncomfortable this morning, even if it might not always be what you want, but just as you say, Lord, here I am, I give myself, use me in for the construction of the household of God, to be a dwelling place of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, would you come? We want to respond to you this morning. Here we respond to you, Lord. Yeah, we worship you this morning, Lord. We want to say, we worship you. You are the owner of the house. What a wonderful thing that we would be loved and accepted in your family. Lord, that there are no strangers anymore, that we are not alienated, we're not pushed to the side, but Lord, we are loved. Because we are loved in God, we are loved in this family. Lord, that we can be accepted with our idiosyncrasies and our differences, and that we could be loved into health, into wholeness, in Jesus' name. Would you come and do that, Lord? Would you come, Lord? Just even, Lord, for some, I feel like even for some of you, you need to maybe show, extend fresh grace towards one another. Maybe it's like you've become critical in your heart towards some individuals, and in your heart you need to say, Lord, I want to extend grace afresh. Oh, I want to learn how to cover over a multitude of sin like you do towards me, Lord. Would you help me to do that towards others? Maybe you've become a bit isolated 
that even in your heart you'd say, God, I'm, I'm, Lord, right now I'm giving myself. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. I just want to create an opportunity for any prophetic. Is there anyone that's feeling anything prophetically for, I want to just go from here, but has anyone got anything on their heart that you feel like you want to just add to what I've said or you feel like the Lord is prompting you Yeah, I just had a scripture on my mind since worship, and once um, Mike started sharing, um, I felt it again, and it's in Romans where it says, um, suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint, and I've just felt that encouragement for for those that are maybe in a place of suffering, or struggling, or frustration that, that God wants to encourage you that it's, it's, it is a blessing sometimes to go through that suffering because it, it produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope and hope will not disappoint. So yeah, to, to just keep that in mind, you know, God won't disappoint you even though you're feeling like you're in a place where it feels um, difficult, hold on to the hope um, his name is Jesus. He won't disappoint you. I'd like us to pray into that. I know there was like a general prayer earlier, but if you're here and you're maybe going through the gift of adversity and you're struggling, it's like, well, you just need grace, man. Now, the Bible says in Him we have grace upon grace, but sometimes we receive that grace through someone praying for you, encouraging you, laying hands up, whatever it is. Who's that today? Who needs prayer? Who of you like, man, that's me. I, ah, Lord, help me today strengthen my faith in some way. Anyone needs prayer on that? Okay, I do. I'm raising my hand. I need you to pray for me. Seriously, I'm not, um, you know, I'm going on holiday soon, but it has been a long term. I feel like I'm, <gasps> Lord, I need to find oxygen for my soul in you. Can someone just gather? We're going to gather around one another and another. Who else is there this one? Because it does feel like the Holy Spirit has put his finger on this, clearly. So we, we're going to gather around one another. Can I ask just guys to raise their hands where they are. Just raise your hand where you are. Thank you, man. Anyone else? And then here. Anyone else needs prayer on that? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Right now, you feel like a gentleman at the back or in the, in the, yeah, in the middle there. Come, let's gather around these folk and let's pray for them and strengthen them in their faith. Afterwards, you can pray for me as well. Anyone else this morning?